You'll never believe this. A pastor and a rabbi walk into a podcast to discuss how faith and tradition should inspire but not limit us. Yeah, we talk about stand-up comedy, surfing, religion, family issues, Doritos, hemorrhoids, the bears, and absolutely nothing at all. You'll have so much fun, you'll never believe we're actually religious leaders. I don't know if you saw this, but there was a, an interesting thing that came across my push notifications today from the news. Source, Will I never believe about, this? Because it's only good for the podcast if I'll never believe it. You will never believe this, okay? Oh, but cool. There is a, there is a <laughs> worldwide Christian prayer session for Israel set to go live for Hanukkah. Now, I, all those things together might seem like a couple things that might contradict each other, but it's not. So you Apparently, said worldwide. Worldwide, Earth, the entire the globe. You yep. said Christian, Christian, yep. Prayer, Israel, to, for Israel. I don't think it's. I don't think it's in Israel, but it's for Israel for Hanukkah. Now wait, hold on a second. This My the brain organization is, is experiencing cognitive dissonance. <laughs> I don't. I don't I blame you, but I can't meld these. Go. What? What is happening? All right. So this is an organization. It's called the Genesis One Two Three Foundation. It sounds very much like Sesame Street, but they're basically going to have segments running online that'll be staggered in different languages. It's going to be in Europe, Asia, India, Africa, China, and North and South America. And this is the part that really got me. They said there will be an English segment just for women. I don't know what's going on there, but basically, basically, yeah, I know you got to hold on to that for a second. But there, there, there's some things you got to ignore about this prayer. (laughs) Just overlook that part. Yep. There's going to be right. There's going to be a prayer session of some sort. When you go to the to the Western Wall, when you go to um, what's called the Kotel in Hebrew, which is the last remaining piece of the uh, the Mm -hmm. Holy Temple that we had. There are cracks in the wall. And what people do is they write down their prayers mm-hmm. and then they put them into the into the wall in the hopes that it'll be more efficacious, if you will. And they're going to basically do this for people all over the world. Now, I don't know if they're going to have enough room in the cracks because it can get kind of tight in there, but but they're going to write down lots of different you know prayers for people and put them into the Western Wall. Would you do this, Ralph? Like, would this something that would like, would this be meaningful for you if somebody said, hey, let's go do this? Sure. Yeah, I definitely do it. I think there's a, a sense of community and unity there. There's a sense that we're more alike than we are different. And um, I mean, amidst all the division and chaos going on in the world right now, it's a symbol that that's not going to define us or, you know, be the end of us. That's great. But I won't I be in Israel to put it, put put my note in, the, in their crack. No, no, but you could, I could maybe do it for you, Ralph. That's the thing. Oh. And I think, I mean, I live literally blocks away from the old city, which is where the Western Wall is. But I, I was just going to say, from my vantage point, I just want more people to do this because it's like more prayers for me. I live here. This is perfect. Why not? I mean, you would. So let me know if you need me to take any notes for you, deliver any message. We're doing it by carrier pigeon. I think is how we're doing it. It's not going to be like email. It's going to be. I'm going to like. Can I have to send me? a carrier pigeon across the ocean. No, no, no. You send it to me and then I'll carry your pigeon it there. I don't think we're going to, whatever, we'll figure it out. It's gonna Do I be, get to pick which crack the pigeon puts it in? Because it's like one of those bricks on the, on the like the campus quad. It's I'll, I'll FaceTime you. I'll FaceTime you. We'll figure All right, it great. Out. That sounds great. So it's, um, if people want to find out more about it, it's Genesis 123 Foundation, you said? Yep. It's, uh, it's Reading Rainbow. No, yes. It's Genesis 123 Foundation. Cool. Definitely worth right. checking out. Cool. Great idea. Thanks for bringing that up. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. It's good to have you all with us. Ralph, what is going on, my man? How you doing? I'm good, Jamie. How are you? Yeah, man. Thank God we're doing well over here. We're hanging, you know, still not fully out of lockdown, but sort of out of lockdown. It's a weird sort of balance. Um, what, what, what have you been uh, keeping yourself up to, my friend? Uh, well, just, uh, trying to stay away from all the, the political chaos going on and, and uncertainty. Something's going on. Wait, what? Yeah. Did, did, did I miss something? Yeah. Yeah. You missed something big. Um, Alex Trebek passed away this week. Oh, I heard about Sean Connery, but Alex Trebek too, huh? Yeah. 
Yeah. Did you? I, I got to tell you, God's got to have a sense of humor with that one. I got to, I got to just, I know people might not know exactly what I'm referencing right now, but I'm going to bring them in. If you haven't seen the Saturday Night Live Jeopardy with Will Farrell, Celebrity Jeopardy, yeah. Celebrity Jeopardy, and how it was just a constant refrain of having uh, Sean Connery messing with Alex Trebek, and then the two of them die within a couple of weeks. Oh my God. That, yeah, that's, that's, it was Sean Connery was always messing with Trebek and like giving him a hard time. So you sent me that meme where it's oh. like Alex Trebek says, God, is that you? And Sean Connery pops up in heaven and says, Got you again, Trebek. <laughs> It was so good. That was it. Great. Was uh, it was just I my a friend of actually a a, a a mutual. I don't know if he was actually mutual, but another URI alum was actually the reason that I saw uh, that meme, and I I was like I had to throw that out. That was such a good one. That was good. Yeah, good. yeah, great. But great. a big loss, nonetheless. I mean, sad, very sad that we lost these these. Uh, yeah, both of them. Could you imagine Trebek? How many? Let's look up how many years he hosted Jeopardy, but that was like, till the day he died, he was hosting Jeopardy. It, was that, I was wondering that. It, was it the day that he died? Was he really like, he I mean, filmed he and then went home? Yeah. 36 years, it says he was. That's, I was going to go in the 30s. I definitely thought 30 years. That's impressive. Did, did he, does it say, did he go to Harvard? I don't know. I heard somewhere along the way that he was a Harvard grad and I was like, Here's a good and question. I, Do you think he yeah. learned more? So let's let's assume he went to Harvard and people can correct us, whatever. Um, do you think he learned more from going to Harvard or from hosting Jeopardy for 36 years? Like what if he was all, uh, all I'm thinking when you're asking that is, is Sean Connery, the, the fake one on SNL yelling at him, you're reading from cards. That's what your mother said, Trebek. <laughs> you're reading from cards. You know, like it's, I mean, look, I, the, if anyone could retain that amount of information that flew across that uh, that show, you know what I mean? It would be just an amazing feat in and of itself, let alone if he learned more in university or in the show. But I think he was very involved in actually writing the questions. I think he was like, he wasn't just a host, if I'm if I'm if I heard correctly. I think he was really like, he was a smart guy. Yeah, I mean, he was definitely smart. He had that quick wit too, where he can um you know, quickly kind of rib with rib with the, the folks and make a joke or, uh, you know, kind of move on from something awkward that happened. That was, that was great. Have you seen the um, clip of him talking the hip, talking through hip hop lyrics that were uh, clues? No, it's pretty good. You have to watch that. Everybody check that out. Let's put that in the show notes. In the that link. But yeah, it's all, it's all like Jay-Z and Tupac lyrics and, and Alex Trebek has to read them in this like super monotone dry sort of way and it's just a beautiful that thing amazing but yeah i'm trying to stay out of all the all the chaos of the two of them you know it's it's really a battle back and forth of uh who got more votes to go to heaven first you know just two elderly white guys <laughs> running for the to get there fastest you know seeing that who was, got that's 74 that, for those who were uh, SNL fans, right, the Saturday Night Live fans out there who saw John Mulaney's stand-up, I, 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 he just nailed it. When he's all the, in the middle of his stand-up, he was doing, he's not political, right? And he doesn't do political stuff. And then all of a sudden turns around in the middle of talking about whatever it was that he was COVID. I don't remember what it was. And he goes, oh, I'm supposed to announce that there's, a, there's an old man contest coming up this Tuesday. It was the, show, it was the Saturday before the election. Yeah, right. It's an old man contest. Uh, if you choose one old man, then you have <laughs> the same old man for a little longer. And if it's the other old man, then it was great. I was like, ah, I just love him. Anyway, so you're staying out of it. You don't want to get involved, yeah? No, I, you know, I, I'm actually in the middle of a three-week vacation uh, that was – long overdue and put off uh for most of uh, did you accrue vacation had you accrued time over time that you like were able to take a longer vacation or is yeah, this I get, a normal I get, amount you get this it's a normal amount we get um so i i get four weeks a year to use whenever i need to um for the year and you know january 1 it comes on and december 31st it goes away so i still have um so before this, I had uh, three and a half weeks of vacation banked, and I still had two weeks of what's called continuing ed, where I go away and I learn. So I could have taken. Great. I where do you go to learn? Uh, where I just kind of wherever I choose, I get to pick topics and 
conferences and obviously none of that's been happening. So I usually like to travel at the same time just to get out and do something else and bring the family if I, if I can, cause then it's just fun, you know, make a, make a little mini vacation between uh, retreats and stuff, but that's great. Wait, wait, where did, did you, you were away though. Were you away? Yeah, but I'm not on, so I'm on vacation right now. I'm not doing any conferences or anything, um, but I but just you went got camping, back. right? Isn't that what you said? No, I was up at our cabin in Tahoe. Oh, cabin and, uh, yeah, it was, uh, so Kendra's dad has this house and um, we've been, you know, it was kind of beat up after 30 something years in the snow. So for the past, I don't know, 10 years, we've been rebuilding slowly and we're at the final stages of getting it up and running so now it's just like bare walls no electricity uh but and it's got heat so we went up with the girls and got dumped on it was like the surprise snowstorm and it was uh, oh it was great it was like a few kids a freak out in the snow did they love it oh man it was great it was just really kind of you know even on vacation sometimes you're so bound to like the clock and what time we need to eat that the snow sort of like rocks you out of it and like, Oh, I don't need to, there's nothing I actually need to get done or need to do. You know, it's that, it's that work mentality that, you know, is even in our brains when we're off the clock that we don't, oh, you know, sure. we got to turn off that sense of productivity and my value comes from what I can get done and not from, you know, just being and, and being okay with doing nothing. It's a very um, hard thing. It's a very hard thing to just be, I think one of the hardest things in my profession is since, um, as, as some know, I'm a, I'm a ritual circumciser, as we call it in Hebrew, I'm a moil or a mohel. Mm -hmm. I, I, I get calls all the time and I can't, I, like people say, I put my phone away from five to seven. If I put my phone away from five to seven, I could miss a job. Like Wait, I don't, so people are I calling you around the clock to get these brisses? Yes. It's, it's not around the clock around, like not to you, but I, I could get calls from one that I've done. I could get a call from uh, somebody who wants, you know, who now just had a baby and is coming. Like there are very few that I get a call or an email or something really in advance. There's like a few a year that I get where people say like, we know it's coming and we just want to be in touch with somebody, but usually it's, you know, the baby was just born and we're calling you. And I, we were actually, this is a good example. We were, in the beginning of August, we went away. My, my in-laws have a little like apartment up north, right on the water, right on the beach. And I decided, you know, I'm going to be present with the kids. I'm going to be present. We're going down to the beach and we were going down to the pool. And I missed a bris because when I, by the time I got back up to the, um, to the apartment, somebody had called. It was three hours later and I called him back and he said, yeah, you know, we're we're not, we can't, we couldn't wait. We had to go make sure that we had somebody because people really want it at the time they want it. They want it, you know, like they have this whole thing. So yeah, I could get a call anytime. Yeah. And those, those, <laughs> those uh, experiences really suck because like you, you need to be like, you need those breaks to be healthy. But the one time you miss something important when you're on that break, you'll never live that down. Like somewhere in your subconscious from now on, you're like, I can't take a break. I can't, I can't put my phone down. Oh, are you kidding me? Since then, I've been like, I've been sitting there and I've been like, I, if I put the phone down, it's like, right, I put the phone down. Listen, I got to go back to the room for a second. I'll be back in a minute. Like, I'll just got to go check the phone. And like, I go back and I check the phone because it's like, you can't leave it for that long. People just yeah. won't wait. Yeah. It's and crazy. It's, it's, you know, it's been critical for me. Um, uh, I had a three month, it's called a Sabbath in our, in our, um, Christian church and some businesses have it too, but it's just a long-term break where a portion of it needs to be rest and recovery from work, but the other portion of it needs to be learning and growing in some way that you're, so I had that scheduled for, um, three months and uh, that got can't sort of canceled or postponed till, uh, you know, COVID's over because, you know, even resting at my house right now just wouldn't be fun because that's what we're doing anyways. And there's nowhere to travel, you know, not much to do, no conferences going on. Uh, so that got postponed, but I needed that. So, you know, I was starting to realize just how, you know, exhausted I was, you know, it was, it was deeper than being tired and needing a nap or a, you know, right. sleep in day. Um, just not finding the same sense of like joy and pleasure from usual stuff. And, getting crankier and more irritable. Even my doctor and my dentist said, 
it seems like you have a lot of stress in your life. And when your dentist can somehow realize you have stress, oh no, you need a break. You're like, dude, just clean my teeth. I can't talk to you. <laughs> I just, I have to, I have to throw out a story. I, I, I think I used this in, in standup that I did one time. My dentist, um, when I was leaving for college, he was my dentist for my whole life. And um, he says to me, as I'm lying there in the chair about to, you know, like last checkup before I go to college, he says, he's like wrapping up and he says, listen, I just want to say something to, you You know, you're going off to college now and, you know, you might be spending time in other people's rooms, like staying over in other people's rooms. And I'm like, oh my God, where is this conversation going? (laughs) I'm getting very nervous. And he goes, listen, I just don't want you to let your dentistry fall to the wayside. And I was like, that's the, that's the pitch. It's not like the big talk. It's not like that's the big big talk in the dental world. That was really, you know, he prepped for that. He went and read a book on how to, how to approach this. And (laughs) I mean, it was perfect. A banana ready to show you just how to brush your teeth properly (laughs) when you're at a, when you're staying at a lady friend's room. Well, I'm saying I was already laying down. What what would I really expect at that moment that he wouldn't bring up something like that? Well, they can bring up whatever they want at that moment because you're sort of like, you're you're prone to just, you you have to sit there and listen. That's who should have the next talk. Your parents should give that one to your dentist because you're in a, you're you're totally stuck there. Oh my God. It's not to mention, usually when they're talking to you, they want, they want to have these conversations with you, but you've got like that in your mouth and they're like talking to you and they're like, so what's new? And you're like, can you just do yes and no questions? Cause I really can't talk right now. Yeah. <laughs> you're a, you're a, you're a completely uh, what's it called? You're an audience that they can do whatever they want with at that Captive moment. Captive audience. Yep. Yep. Definitely. So yeah, let's talk more about that because I, th- I think there's something to the importance of a intentional break you know what i mean like um in my in the christian context we call it sabbath in your context you guys refer to it as shabbat Um, but really beyond the kind of religious and scriptural basis of taking the break you know this long-term rest the sabbath i'll call it is um this complete break from from any intentional work and it's really a time to kind of turn off all of those uh, those work-related uh, functions that we put in the autopilot, the things like we need to be productive and what are we going to do next and how do we plan for this and uh, how are we going to pay for this or, you know, staying busy, staying active. And, and the Sabbath doesn't necessarily need to be like laying in your bed for 12 hours doing nothing, but it just yeah. puts you in a mode where you, you know, your work and your productivity is not completely who you are. And so it's finding other things that might fulfill you. Uh, So surfing, for instance, is a great example for both of us as a Sabbath. Like I have six days a week. I can't go surfing because I got to do work. But if I had a day to do nothing and someone said, what what do you want to do? What would be, what would make you happy? What would bring you a sense of joy? I'd be like, I need to get in the water. Yeah, for sure. Well, what's interesting is that when I observe the Sabbath, it's sort of the inverse, right? I can't, I am not able to go surfing at that point. Even if I were in a a position where I could sort of be close enough, I've had this debate with friends of mine, other colleagues of mine, as to whether or not surfing could be something that you could do on Shabbat if you were actually right there at the water and you had everything you needed. But the connection that I see with what you just said is of having this productivity or lack thereof uh, when it comes to Sabbath is that um, I, I my best surfing experiences and probably my best Shabbat experiences are the times that I take off my watch. Hmm. If I can go Why surfing without my if I can go surfing without my watch, that means I am completely not even bound by theoretical time. I can just do whatever I want for as long as I want, and I'm not like doing the normal of like checking my wrist of like, well, what time is it now? And can I stay out as long as I should? I go out to go surfing. Let's use that as an example. And I'll go until I'm absolutely exhausted. And I, and I, and I have no more physical energy to do it. And when it comes to Shabbat, I haven't done it for a long time. When I was first observing Shabbat, I was really um, punctilious. You like that word? I was really, you know, uh, particular to, to make sure I wasn't wearing a watch because it was like this time where, I, it didn't even matter to me what time it was. We were we were going in to do some praying, in, you know, in the synagogue, and and there are people who, when they go in to pray in the synagogue, even on Shabbat morning, uh, 
Um, they will sit there and just tap their toe and look at their watch and we need to be out of here by 1030. And we've talked about that. That's not really what it's about. It's really just about experiencing what's going on around you and being focused on whatever it is that you're doing and not being focused on the time that you have or how long it takes or when am I going to do or what am I going to do next? Yeah. So have you, um, so talking about Shabbat and Sabbath in a non-religious way, in more of a like extreme rest, intentional break from all the productivity, when have you felt yourself needing that break? Like what, what's been the circumstances in your life when you've needed a, a break, a, a, sh- a Shabbat, if you will? I mean, in some ways, I can say the best Shabbat, the best Sabbath that I feel like I have ever had. And I, and I know that in life, I probably won't have that type of experience again, was actually when we were in college. Oh, yeah. I can remember the times that I felt like I was the most burnt out, but at the same time, the most fulfilled with the break that was coming and the break that I had was when you finished finals. Yeah. Like that experience of like working and working and working just like nonstop. But you knew that that end was in sight. You knew that there was a break coming. And then when the break came and you walked out from that last final, you know what I mean? Or whatever it was, you wrote that last paper and you just walked away and went, and now I have nothing to do at all. And I'm just, I can do whatever I want. It was the most free feeling I've, I feel like I've ever felt. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And there's a lot of times when, you know, you you just have to have developed this greater self-awareness of, you know, when, at least I do when, you know, when I know that I'm overworked and exhausted um, and just feeling extremely, you know, tired all the time. I know when I feel that way, but I need to do, I, I need to work on the trigger of saying, oh, when I feel this way, I need to take an intentional Sabbath yeah. because unlike you, we don't have that built into our, um, our laws or our codes, right? right. We, we, on our Sabbath, we go to church. And for me, that's work. That's sure. not. I was going to say, rabbis and pastors do not get Shabbat. That nope. does, it doesn't, right. So like I, rabbis, it's the funny thing about being a rabbi. Right? It, we have to legally observe Shabbat. We can't work on Shabbat. But the people who end up having to work on Shabbat are the rabbis that run all the services and do everything that's going on. It's, it's, a, it's a, quite a little quandary that goes on there. Yeah, one of the things that um, I often think about with this Sabbath is um, like a pendulum. If you, if you take a look at a, a pendulum and on one side of the pendulum, you, on the top side, you put um, work and on the other side, you put rest. And if you pull the ball all the way back towards the work end of a pendulum, if you pull it back to 100%, you're working at full capacity, 40 hours a week or whatever, and you let that ball go on the pendulum, it'll swing all the way back to 100% of rest. Sure, right? Sure. And sure. if you pull it 120% past the midline uh, towards the work section, you let that ball go, it'll go past what you need for the, on the rest side. But oftentimes, especially in a, a America and type A folks and this productivity culture, um, we, we try and pull the ball of that pendulum back to the work side way past 100% for way too long. And then when we let go and we let that pendulum swing back to the rest side, we stop it before we get a good enough yeah. rest to meet the well, need, good to meet the needs of how hard, how long we've worked. You know, we that's take this good. one day off, maybe two days off, maybe no days off for some people. And that's not enough to compete with the 40, 50, 60 hour work week and still going home to take care of kids, uh, sure. to pay the bills, to do the dishes and cook and all this other stuff. Um, wow. You know, in, in a similar vein, like I realized when I was, um, when I taught surfing in Santa Cruz, I think it was, I think that was the point where I was teaching lessons um, at a beach probably for, oh God, I think I pulled onto the beach at 6 a.m. and pulled off of the beach maybe at 6 p.m. And I would just be eating carbs all day long and all night long to try and just, you know, compensate with the amount of energy I was putting out. It was such a different way of being, meaning I, I do work, um, you know, very hard in all the jobs that I do, right? But, but a physical labor was not something that I knew. I didn't know what it was to be in a field as like, you know, our ancestors 
you know, were farmers and they had to be in the field all day and all, you know, all the light hours of the day and working. And then when I would hit Shabbat, when I would hit the day of rest, it would just, it was like, I never, it never felt as sweet as having worked those every day of the week and then resting that, that day. Meaning that, that type of work is a very different experience of work, which I don't think, I don't know if you feel that way when you do your work uh, with your congregation. I mean, I, well, it might be because, you know, the nature of both of our work is not very physical. So, so when we do get to do that, like have that physical exertion, it is a deep rest. You know, it's, it's kind yeah. of what we, in, what God intended for Sabbath and Shabbat. We, uh, sure. in, just in this top, last Tahoe weekend that we took, uh, for two days, I was helping my father-in-law um, paint and uh, prime all the walls and get ready for the electrician. So, I, you know, I was putting in, it wasn't long, but I was doing, you know, physical labor mm-hmm. and, and, and um, it actually felt good. You know, it didn't feel, you know, it was nice to have my body feel exhausted for once and not, you know, just my mind. Uh, sure. It was nice to kind of exercise that, that vein. My friend Sarah um, was saying that Sabbath isn't a break uh, from all work, but it's just gentler work like walking or doing yoga in some mindful way so that your body and your your being is a is um is moving more towards strength and health instead of constantly working from being depleted so i think you can do other things but do it more mindful more relaxing more fulfilling and so So it may look like someone else's job right like physical labor uh teaching surfing right those are people's jobs but it's a it's a break for us. It's like a relief sure. from the mental agony and the emails and the prep. So, one of, one of the things that's a major element uh, in in the Shabbat, that, as we keep it, is a thing called in Hebrew. It's called hevdel. Hevdel means a distinction, and that you might wear a button down shirt and you know slacks every day to work, but you have a specific pair of slacks and that and button down shirt that's only for Shabbat. Right. So it isn't necessarily right. That's this is how cartoon characters live, by the way. <laughs> when Homer Simpson opens his closet, this is exactly what it is. The same outfit, the whole time. And then he has one church outfit. <laughs> Listen, you can make fun of Batman if you want, but he had a lot of suits. Right. That's like what you need if you're going to be Batman. But even ones I mean, with nipples. Even. Well, yeah, that's important. I think Batman. Needs that. So but that that idea of Hevdale was a distinction is a way of sort of saying, right, it's not necessarily that you're not going to do any physical exertion, but you're not going to do the same types of things that you did all week. And it it gets so, it gets really like intense the way they sort of analyze things and say, well, you can't do that because that's what you do during the week. You know, and so there's this whole idea of making this time something which it is completely distinct and, and I don't like the word unique, but something which is, its own thing for that time. It's something special and different. Mm. So I want to hear more about what's the uh, biblical basis that Jews use to really define Shabbat and how to act and how to live, how to use it. So the, I mean, everything stems from um, the first chapters of Genesis and talking about the creation story. Mm -hmm. And when God created, God created every day up until uh, the seventh day, and then God on the seventh day did this sort of very weird trick move where God created this sort of negative space mm-hmm. and created something which was ceasing from work. And although it, it's like we call it that he stopped working, it actually means that there was this creation of this time where something wasn't going to happen, right? So that's really, that's actually the basis of um, the first layer of where do we get that the seventh day is a day of rest. So God did it, and so you, 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 you. It's a model. It, okay, it's a model. Yep, it's a modeling thing. But then the second step to where we get our understandings of what, um, what types of things you can and can't do on Shabbat comes from the actual building of the tabernacle, right? Of the what we call in Hebrew is called the Mishkan. The tabernacle was the movable space where, while we were in the desert. Um, uh, Moses and Aaron did these sacrifices. And when it talks about, when it first introduces the idea of building the temple, 
It says, here's what you need to do to build the temple. And, and in that first sentence, it says, and don't forget to keep Shabbat. And the rabbis say, ah, see, it says right there that you have to keep Shabbat. That means that everything that we're about to see detailed in the next you know, section of the Torah, that is the type of work that you can't do. So what they did is they took all those things that are mentioned on how you build the tabernacle, whether it be that there's going to be curtains or poles or, you know, skins and all these sorts of things and says, look, there's sewing involved in that. And they built these things called the 39 acts of work. And the 39 acts of work are the things that we can't do directly from the Torah. And then they said, okay, and all there's all sorts of other things which are related to those 39. And those are things you can't do as well. And so the, so basically it was their way of saying the list will never end. We will, we, <laughs> <Yeah>. will, <laughs> we will connect things back to uh, the original 39 in some way or another. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's sort of the biblical um, work. Um, well, and, and then they, isn't, isn't in Exodus one of the 10 commandments, isn't one of them, yeah, uh, sure. About Shab- about oh yeah, uh, Sabbath no, no, for sure. The um that the the uh, oh, you don't try and test me, but I I can't remember the number of which one it is. I should really know this. I'm going to say five, but I'm totally guessing right now. You look it up on see if you can find anything for me. Um, but it is. I know it might be three. I'm just going through the way you went. You know, when you go through the alphabet, I was like, okay, first first one is I'm God. Second one is. Uh, okay. Anyway, no, no, it's not really relevant which one it is, but yes, it's, it says you have to keep the Shabbat and it's reiterated again in Deuteronomy um, in any sort of lengthier way saying yeah. you have to keep Shabbat. So, yeah. And it's yes, interesting it's that um, uh, we've turned that maybe we'll get here later, but we've turned. So the basis of it is God takes a break. So we should take a break and, uh, it's important enough that we're going to put into law, take a break, but here are the things that you cannot do. Right. Right. And I think it's interesting that we've turned that into, at least in the Christian culture, we've turned that into, that's the day you go to church. <laughs> yes. Right. Like that's, that's the day that you do these things uh, to celebrate God, which I, I think is fine to help, you know, honor the, that rhythm as well of worship and uh, praise, but it, it's almost, um, like you wonder if God would have even wanted that in some way. It's an interesting, it's an interesting question. I mean, for us, it's, it doesn't, we, we just go for longer on Shabbat. There's like more prayers to do. So yeah. we stay like, usually when you go on a normal weekday, you're there for a half hour to an hour. When you go on Shabbat, you're there. You could be, it depends on which, which synagogue you go to and which rabbi speaks. Cause when they speak, man, sometimes they can go on for a while. I've met a few in my day, yeah. but they, uh, but the, but the length of this service could be three hours, right? Yeah. So it's just a longer visit. But, but I think there was a time there's, I mean, you can look at it biblically in the, in the biblical stories when, when God talks about when we're in the desert and we're not supposed to uh, do any work, God says, you know, all of the week, the, the manna from heaven will come down, right? That food that we eat, this like magical cake food that God says, no matter who's eating it, it tastes whatever they want it to be. And it's sweet and delicious for everyone. Didn't they have to pick it off the grass too? <laughs> they had to pick it off the grass, which is like, it makes you wonder how sweet and delicious it was. Yeah, right. But, the, but, but it says on, the, on um, Friday, right, the day before Shabbat, because that's our day, um, they, there would be a double portion. And you weren't even supposed to leave your tent. You're not even supposed to leave your tent and go looking to collect. And of course, I don't know if you know us Jews, but we messed it up immediately. God says, don't do that. And immediately we said, oh, you meant not to do that? I don't even Sounds know about right. Yeah. yeah, we walked right out and tried. And God said, I told you not to do that. Um, but yeah, it was a whole thing about sort of being actually, it sounded like in the biblical times, it was really like not leaving your tent. You were not supposed to go out and do things. It was just be inside. Yeah. And so how do you practice it now? So now um, we have, we're lucky enough to have things that we can use to help us along the way. Meaning we have, in my house here in Israel, we have timers on all the different electronic well, no, actually, back up it for a second and just explain, oh, explain what you can and cannot do, how you're living, how you're. Sure. Um, sure. So basically what we can and can't do, um, the things that we can do are like what normal things that we can do. We can walk, we can talk, we can pray, we can, you know, but we can't, the big things are we can't cook, we can't use electricity, um, 
some of the things that we're even talking about, you can't even like pick them up or move them or you're right. You're, you're literally supposed to leave all those things alone for Shabbat. Mm-hmm. Um, there are questions about whether or not you can play certain sports, right? But the main things that come down are those things which we, what we call creative and destructive acts. I am not allowed to do things that either create or destroy. Like that's what God was doing for the first six days. So like that's sort of the broad category. So give you an example. We like the Hippocratic oath. Do no harm. (laughs) Do no harm. Yeah. It's like doctor for a day. You're a lazy doctor. (laughs) We are good at what we can. Yeah. There's a lot of doctors actually in our, uh, in our tradition, believe it or not. But the, um, like, like for an example, we're not allowed to sew. That's like a first, like sort of a very baseline example. You can't sew, you can't write. And then the, the, when the rabbis started to interpret all of this, they, they started to give quantifiable measures of all these things. So when it came to sewing, I couldn't sew two stitches. That was considered this? Like, I mean, it came from, you know, God's rest and then the, the rabbi's decree. And, uh, and now it's, two stitches or four stitches or whatever. <laughs> exactly. So that the question becomes, how do you interpret um, what we have, the Jewish law books that we have, the earlier books, meaning we have the Torah and the Tanakh, which is the Bible, the whole Bible. And then the next sort of step is a thing called the Mishnah, which is the first codified laws. And then the next, the, the sort of commentary on the Mishnah was called the Talmud or the Gemara. Yeah, but none the, of those, those people had electricity. So how did they decide that? <laughs> <laughs> like I said, like, remember, keep your mind here, keep your mind sharp. What I said was, we will have things that we will be able to keep plugging in, no pun intended, to the original 39, right? right Everything right. we're going to say, oh, that's part of that. That one goes with it. Now, now, you picked up on a very good one, actually, because electricity could have very well been decided not a creative act or a destructive act on Shabbos, Right. That what they did was they said, one of the major things we're not allowed to do is light a fire, right? Lighting a fire is considered a, one of the bigger constructive acts. And so they said, oh, is electricity more like lighting fire or is electricity not like lighting fire? And the rabbis, I think why they decided what they decided, because as you, as most, I don't know who knows and doesn't know, but electricity is really about opening a, opening a, a door almost and letting the current flow through. You didn't really create anything. Now, sometimes you can create a thing by creating, like joining a circuit together. But otherwise, it could have been very easily that the rabbis could have decided, modern day rabbis could have decided and said, that's, that's, not, that's not a constructive act. But then I think they got stuck on the point, which was, well, how is this day going to be different from the other days? If I'm able to turn on lights, did I really make a distinction? Did I really make it different from the other days? So so how do do you, so you have all these laws of things you can't do. So you're kind of going through the motions with what, you know, kind of extreme resting you can do. What is, what does a day look like? How do you wake up? What do you do? How do you spend your day? so basically the day, well, that, what's interesting is I'm going to back up one step and say our days as Jews actually start when the night starts. So all of our holidays actually start the evening before the day. So Shabbat will start on Friday night when the sun goes down. Why? Great. It starts there because of the way it says it in Genesis. It was night and then it was day. That's how all the language is. So since it was says night and then day, we start all of our things at night. That's the beginning of our time measure for a day. So we start the night before and say, so the night before always starts sort of similarly. We, we spend the entire day Friday running like frantic animals, trying to get everything ready, cooking, cleaning, everything. And then once Shabbat hits, everything stops and everything slows down and you're able to sort of finally breathe and rest. Mm-hmm. And then we, you know, we do our normal prayers that we do. Um, and then we have meals. And the big thing that, that sort of centers around the holidays and, the, and Shabbat is one of our, is our most regular holiday is that we have three meals on Shabbat. So we, we do our, our afternoon and evening prayers on Friday night. And then we have a, a big meal with our family and friends when it's not COVID. And then we sort of, and, and those meals can run till you know, 11, midnight, whatever it be. And so you have that. And then the other big meal is the lunch meal um, on Saturday afternoon. And again, you'll either go to someone's house or you'll be invited to their house. They'll invite you. You'll invite people to your house and you'll have a, a, a big meal 
Um, and at the moment, it's been really an interesting thing to watch how it's a little different having it just be the insular family and not people coming over. But that's a different story for another time. Um, and so there's prayer in the morning, and then there's the lunch afternoon meal, and then there's an afternoon uh, prayer again, and then we have a third meal, which is a, usually a smaller meal that does, you don't usually invite tons of people for. Mm-hmm. And you have the, e- the evening service sort of ending out Shabbat as well. And that's, and that's so. So you have this kind of full 24-hour period from sundown to... Sundown. Sundown. 25 hours, actually, yeah. And the purpose, you know, is, well, God did this, so we should do it. And it should give you this sense of, of rest and um, refueling. Do you feel that way after, after a, uh, you know, after you go through a whole Shabbat? Do you feel like it was worthwhile and you are recharged to get back to whatever daily life is on the next day? I say yes, and I'll tell you why. Um, sometimes it's crazy with all the meals and the cleaning, and the, you have to clean so many dishes, and you know, like clean. It's a, it's a lot. It's like because I think about it, we basically entertain parties, you know, two parties every week, yeah, and so yeah. there is an element of like, did I really rest just now? Well, not only are you entertaining these things and prepping meals, but you're doing it without electricity, without fire. Like they're all right, kind of like right. limited so, resources. It's like you're camping, which is right. fun, but it's almost like ten times harder than just doing it at home. Correct creature comforts of life. So, so does it? So does it feel that way? It does feel that way, and I'll tell you how I know that it feels that way. Because every once in a while, holidays will fall out um, so that they overlap with Shabbat. Um, and if that's the case, um, you feel like, oh my gosh, you know, I didn't, I didn't get my regular sort of week. My week got sort of it wasn't the same. Something happened. And I didn't have my regular week. Like a good example is when we have Yom Kippur, which is our day of atonement. Um, There's no eating at all. And so if you have Yom Kippur, which falls out on Shabbat, you just, you don't have any of those meals. You have a really big meal just before, and then you just, you don't eat for the 25 hours of Yom Kippur. And it's like something, you're missing something. It wasn't right. Your week was off, you know? And um, I think, look, I'll say selfishly as well, there is something nice about having, uh, like in America, you have a different structure. In Israel, it goes your first day of the work week. Actual work week is Sunday. And Friday is the prep day for Shabbat. And then mm-hmm. Saturday is actually Shabbat. And then you go back to work right away on Sunday. And I, I always think that American Jews have it just a little better because they do this half day on Friday. They get ready really, really, really quickly. But then they also have this thing called Sunday, which we don't get, <laughs> where they just get to relax and, you know, I don't know, go to the beach. We never have that time here in Israel to just, like you're talking about, like, I, if I like to go, you know, run out and go climbing, I like to go running, I like to go, right? You just sort of, you have very little time for that. Mm. And every once in a while, it'll fall out in our calendar, in the, in the actual national calendar, that something works out, that we have a day where nothing's happening. It could be, like, it's usually the, you know, a day where we're voting. And we're like, oh my gosh, we have a Sunday? And like, we'll go do something like that. But you do, you do feel rested. Um, I don't know if you feel rested in the way that you're talking about where the pendulum swings all the way back to 100 or 120 and you actually did nothing. You know what I mean? And you go, but, but here now with the way it is with COVID, you know, we get actually uh, pretty regularly, Leah and I will, will do our meal, like the afternoon meal, and we'll get like a two-hour nap on Friday, on Shabbos afternoon, you know, on Saturday afternoon. And it's amazing. Yeah. And that, I mean, it reminds me, I have an interesting observation about COVID in that it sort of uh, recharges us because although we're craving social interaction, I think a lot of times kind of getting together feel, feels like an extra thing. Like at the end of the week, people invite us over for dinner or we got to, you know, do this church event or school event. And it's just other things to do that aren't, you know, it's great people and great events, but they're not really re- refueling me especially at the end of a busy week. Some weeks you're like, oh, I don't want to go here. I don't want to see these people. Mm. But you have to do it. And now it's like, well, there's a there's an ultimate excuse. Like, oh, can't can't hang out at all. And I think some right. people are finding like they're, although frustrated, you know, getting frustrated at this point because it's gone on so long. I mm. think they're feeling like, oh, geez, this is kind of nice to not have to make up an excuse or, mm. you know, suck it up and go do another thing that isn't really recharging and I've I've heard a lot of people who are kind of repositioning their reevaluating their values and what they're what they're doing in their life because they're realizing when they slow down and they don't have you know the grind of 
actually going to work and they can work from home or they, they cannot see their family. Um, we have a staff member and she's, she was going to be with us for another three years and then retire and move closer to her kids. And she said, you know what? I don't want to wait three years. I miss my kids so badly and I've had so much time to think about it that I'm moving now. So she moved her retirement up to the end of the year. And I mean, it really is a Sabbath in essence where she got this long-term break to really stop working so quickly and so pervasively and reevaluate like what's truly important at my core. What is it that God wants for me in my being? And I think we make up so much of who we are based on what we do or how much we do or how much people like us that we miss out that there's something more important and deeper that we created these, this work and these things for, but we're missing the point. We're getting so wrapped up in kind of the details. So those are my, those are actually my, I, I agree with that because my two times that I actually find, I wouldn't call it inspiration per se, but I, I sort of have that clarity of thought. One place I find real clarity of thought, as we've talked about before, is in the ocean, right? When there's nothing else I'm thinking about, and there's no other things right. that, that are going on. But also the times that I feel that I get clarity is I get clarity in the morning when I do the morning prayers, because nothing else is going on. If I'm really able to have my time and my space to pray, then there's time that my wheels are just, they're just working and, and things sort of start clicking. And I start getting these ideas and I start reevaluating. And Shabbat is the same sort of a thing. It gives you that moment to kind of put the brakes on and, and just be thinking about what was going on in the last week, what's coming for the next week, and, and maybe even the broader, bigger picture. And do I want to do what I'm doing? Like I just, uh, the other day, had to make a decision. I'd been teaching with an organization for, um, for special needs. Um, teaching them Jewish topics. Uh, and I had been doing it for five years and, and I just, you know, I had to make a decision. And like, those are the times where and I decided I, I, I can't do it anymore. And those decisions come for me when I'm sitting there having those moments to sort of actually mm-hmm. think and not going, okay, I've got to now get to this and I got to drop the kids off here and I got to go there. It's like, you have that moment to yeah. just think. Yeah. That full stop where you can, yeah. you can really, um, assess everything kind of take stock of uh what's happening and what you know what's important what's not important i think um in the christian culture we don't have that uh as a law and and i think a lot of people sort of play with it as you know that's the that's the most sabbath is is going to church and after church it's quick get to the soccer game or you know take grandma to lunch and quick get home and get grocery shopping, get ready for school for the week. It's not a, you know, full rest. And even church has become in a lot of ways an event. So people are, you know, waking up earlier and prep preparing for it in a different way than they would Mm -hmm. any other day of the week, you know? And so I think people get pieces of what the Sabbath was intended for, um, you know, that those relationships that are deeper and more meaningful, um, that sense of connection to God and input from, uh, our creator and our savior. Um, they're getting some of those things, but again, it's become such a, an ordeal and event that um, there's more work involved with it. That seems to be getting in the way of the actual, you know, rest and refueling that uh, Sabbath was intended for. So I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story. My, uh, one of my teachers who actually was the person who married Leah and myself and actually let, married my in-laws as well. He's a rabbi who, who um, is the founder of the, the town that Leah and I are moving to, please God, in a couple of weeks. Um, he t- always tells a story about how he has a lot of connections with evangelical Christians. Mm-hmm. And they are very much into sort of reconnecting with the Old Testament and the Jewish traditions. And he was meeting with one of the priests who was, a, I think, a pretty influential, you know, bigger priest. And, and he said to him, you know, what's something that my congregation can take on? And he said, one of the things, and this is, this is one of the things which I think is going to save the world if everybody starts taking this on, um, it, it, is he said, that works for me, the, this is Rabbi Riskin, as his name said, I, I love Shabbat because I don't have my phone ringing. My yeah. phone is off. I can't use my phone. And he said, and just that, having that break from the phone he said, is a major thing. 
And the rab, and so they, I think they met this one year. He came back the next year and this priest said to him, it was amazing. I told all my congregants to, to not use their phone, not bring it to church. And, and everybody thinks it's the greatest idea. <laughs> so and, novel. So, and so, so, and so radical. Basic, right? So basic. And he says, he says, Rabbi Riskin, do you have another idea for us? And he says, he says, sure. He says, I'll tell you one of the things I love about Shabbat. I love that I can't drive the car. And he says, and so I won't, you know, have to run around and do all these things. And I, I just, I, everything I have to do is by foot. And the priest looks at him and says, we'll go with the phone thing. That's a good <laughs> idea. <laughs> and that's once the, like, once you take away our cars, that's it. It's either cars, if you took away well, McDonald's, that would have been the end of it. He would have never talked right, But see, that's, but that's one of the things, right? Exactly. That's one of the things about Judaism is that we are all in these sort of very insular, small communities. If we're actually going to keep Shabbat in that way, if we're going to not, if we're going to walk and, you know, but, but, the, but did you see the social dilemma? I don't know if anybody, any of our listeners have seen the social dilemma yet, but sure. if you haven't it's on Netflix, we'll put it in the show notes. It's a great movie about sort of just how dependent we are on our, uh, phones and I and don't pretend like you're not listening on your phone. We all know you we all use our phones when we do, but like, but at the you're same pooping time, right now too. We know it. <laughs> we're not looking. We just had an assumption. We just thought maybe. Well, so the um, <laughs> so um, but no, there's. I think that in if people actually took a 24, we take 25 hour block of the week where we said we're not going to be on our phones, right? And I told you how hard it is for me business wise, but people know they don't call me. No one gets called on Shabbat. You know what I mean? They're not calling on Shabbat to say, hey, can you do this bris for me? They're calling after Shabbat ends or Sunday. But if people took that 24, 25 hours, it would just be a way to sort of detach from that thing and just look around and, and just be very present with all the things that were going on around them. And I think it makes a real difference in one's life and one's relationship to their device. Yeah. That's my- yeah, my friend Sarah talks about um, the need for Sabbath as a, a form of resistance uh, to what the world tells us about ourselves, like our identity, reclaiming our identity is in God and requires some you know, rest and maintenance. Like uh, Sabbath is saying, no, this isn't who I am. Um, Sarah is a pastor at uh, Salt House in Kirkland, Washington. And one of the, one of the scholars she quotes is Walter Brueggemann, who says uh, Sabbath is an act of resistance against the tyranny of work, anxiety, and dissatisfaction. Um, Let me read it again, and then I want to hear what you think about that. Sabbath is an act of resistance against the tyranny of work, anxiety, and dissatisfaction. I definitely like the first piece. I think the resistance against work is spot on. When it comes to uh, uh, people's anxiety and those sorts of emotions, right? I have found on, in my own life, when I kept Shabbat and I didn't have a family, when I was single, it can feel oppressive because you're basically saying at this point, um, you're either somewhat dependent on people to invite you or make this whole meal and you're doing all this stuff sort of by yourself. It can be very, very lonely. I can remember when I was in yeshiva, when I was studying to be a rabbi um, in, the tr- in the traditional school that I was going to in Efrat, which is uh, where we're moving, I, I, I was dreading Shabbat at a certain point in my life because it really was just, there wasn't, it wasn't a, I didn't have a home at that point, right? Having a home and a family means that you're always sort of connecting with those people and connecting with that that you love. And there's just a lot of love in the house. Mm-hmm. When you're sort of a single person trying to sort of navigate what is Shabbat and how do I keep Shabbat, you can get really lost because you're just sitting there by yourself. And that's a very, that's a very hard thing. So, but I, I do really like the idea of, of pushing back against, because I think the world, especially now, I don't think it was met that much different in the past. The, the world will work you to death if it was allowed to. If you don't have that, that ability to push back against right, the hand of work that can creep into your entire being, you know, especially now when we have our phones and we never leave the office really because it's with us, yeah. it's, it's oppressive. That's another yeah. form. Yeah, I love that he uses the word tyranny, like work yeah. 
is this oppressive dictator telling you, you know, this is who you are. Your identity is is wrapped up in being a, you know, a CEO or a garbage man or a teacher or whatever it is. I always find it funny when when you meet someone for the first time, you see this tyranny of work because you say, hi, what's your name? And the next question, 98% of the time is what do you do? Sure. And and I, I would imagine maybe half the folks really, uh, you know, are prideful and want to share what they do. Um, but it's almost an ego trip where the other half of the folks are saying what they do and are almost like, this is a non thing for me. This isn't who I am. Like you didn't ask me, what are my hobbies or what do I love to do? Right. You know what I mean? And you could find much more about someone. If you say, what do you love to do or what keeps you busy? What do you enjoy the most? You can right. find out more about their identity and yet we assume it needs to be all about our work. So it, it, it very, you know, he's spot on there. It is very much a tyranny where we've yep. defined ourselves by what we do and not who we are and who God made us to be. I also found that when I wasn't keeping Shabbat, I would have a, a, a guilty complex about whether or not I should be doing work at that moment. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Isn't my free time, what, like, what, what, what defines my free time and why what if I have these like projects and things sort of looming over my head? There was never a time where I would say to myself, you know what, this is a time I can't work on that. And I have, and I feel, and it feels okay to let it go. You know what I mean? And it is like this imposed upon you, this block of 25 hours that's imposed on you is like, guess what? Not only uh, do you not have to work, but you can't do that yeah. work. I, I can imagine for Jews, it must feel I guess to, from the outside looking in, it must, it, it must feel, to me, it would feel oppressive to be told you can't do all these things at the beginning, but then at the end of those 25 hours, it would be a relief and almost a revelation of, oh, this is what I needed more so yeah. than, you know, getting wrapped up and checking my email every hour and getting things done and prepping for whatever comes next. I think it's, it's one of those things where we realize that the actual uh, oppressor was work and not rest. Like this is built into the nature of who we are as humans. It's very true. I'll tell you, uh, just sort of a, on a side note, there was a, um, I have been, as I said, I was teaching with this program for five years and I had taught this um, Mishnah, right? Which is one of the first codified laws that we have a whole bunch of them. And I would, I would go through a bunch of these different um, teachings with the students that I was working with. And there was this one teaching that we had um, that when I taught it, I never under, I, I couldn't understand how it was possible that, that this was real. Um, and in the times of the Mishnah, and you know, we're talking about about 2,000 years ago, we would, if we made a mistake, we would have to bring an offering for expediation, right? To be, to be forgiven for those sins, we'd bring an offering. And so it starts talking about if you don't know whether or not you made a sin. And this, and I'm just going to say, you know, this only became clear to me when COVID happened. And I think it's sort of wrapped into what you were talking about with COVID. And the, the Mishnah says that if I made a mistake and I didn't know if I ate this type of oil, which was permissible to eat or not permissible to eat, right? That was the first part of the case. And then it says, but what if, what if also I did some work, but I didn't know if it was the Shabbat day or if it was the weekday. And I went, every time I taught it, I went, who could possibly not know whether or not it was Shabbat? And then COVID hits and I go, aha, uh, now that we're doing absolutely, no. and like, but it's like one of those things where I went, how could the mission be written 2000 years ago and really know what we were going to experience? But it was, it was like, that's exactly what it was like. I had no clue what day it was. And I said, wow, what, what an amazing thing though. I mean, in a sense, you didn't know what day it was, but this was the thing that helped me mark my time while we were in lockdown. I, I would have lost all sense of time if I didn't have this time period where I said, okay, but I know I was home every single day for the last seven days, but I know that day was different than all the other days. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, and I think a lot of it's just how you define that space. And you all have, uh, have you know, more concrete and universal definitions of what, what Shabbat is and when to do it and how to do it versus, you know, kind of this loose definition of it's a day off. Right. 
because I, um, I found this uh, article in uh, Travel and Leisure magazine, and they were talking through some of the points that uh, came out of a study by the Journal of Happiness. And what they were saying was the average American vacation is four days. Okay. Um, the, uh, and most Americans would like to take a seven day vacation, but often feel like they can only take four. Right. And however, uh, in studies of neuroscience, uh, it says that uh, the, uh, the feeling an increased sense of happiness uh, will peak on the eighth day of a full vacation. Wow. That's when uh, you'll have optimal release of endorphins and serotonin, some of the happiness, you know, chemicals, drugs in your body. Um, and you'll begin to finally, you know, feel that full, uh, like your body will recharge and refuel. So what they're essentially saying is, you're not even coming close. The average American who takes four days off is not even coming close to getting the benefits of a break. And even if they had exactly what they wanted of seven days off, they're just barely starting to get the, the physical and neurological benefits that are actually coming from this. And I also wonder, you know, it's seven, you know, that seventh day um, is biblical, but it's interesting that it's also physical, physiological, and, uh, uh, you know, in neuroscience, neurochemical. It kind of scares me because it sounds like also that if it's true, it takes until the eighth day. It sounds like, I'm not the neuroscientist here, but it sounds like we just can't let go for that long. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm trying to think of the movie reference, but there was something where, oh, I know, I know what it was. It was um, Step Brothers with, Will Farrell and John C. Riley, right? Yeah. And Will Farrell's brother, I don't know if everybody has seen this, but Will Farrell's brother, uh, and he, they don't get along at all. And at the end of the movie, and so I've seen people actually put this little, you know, uh, I don't know if they put it out as a GIF or a video, whatever, but they put it out as like what it's going to be like when, when COVID's finally gone and we can hug again. There's this scene where Farrell finally says, I'm going to hug my brother and he grabs him and he's like, pushing off and trying not to, and, and his brother's so uncomfortable. And, and I imagine that's what it's like to, to go on vacation for a lot of people. They're struggling and squirming and going, and then finally go, and they just give in to the hug on like day eight. You know what I mean? And it's just, they, they finally let go. That's, a, that's an amazing statistic. Yeah. And you got to wonder whether, you know, there's some sense of like, God knew this. God knew that you know, six days of work, and then your body and your mind begin to take a toll. And you need to take that full break, that full Shabbat, that full Sabbath to really refuel. And, and I've found, you know, when I have that day in my rhythm, regularly, uh, in a weekly pattern, I do recharge better. But oftentimes, when I wind up working through that seventh day, like my Saturday, I have a memorial service or I, you know, I got to finish prep on my sermon or, you know, get a, get some calls or things to check up on when I have that for a week that then I've gone 14 days before I finally get a break. And I need more than one 24 hour period to really get back to, uh, you know, refueling. And so I think there's, you know, there's this natural rhythm that you, you know, you and I believe God's built in, but even our bodies and our minds and how we're created, it says is, is, naturally somewhere in that seventh day you're going to begin to get the full effects and become more yourself and i think that's kind of what you know people are searching for and thinking they're finding it from work and uh you know pursuit of something and they're missing it they're missing the point isn't just to work yourself endlessly Mm. Uh, you know it's all the all the ideas of you know he who dies with the most toys wins you know, you're working, you're working for something that's not fulfilling, that's not pleasing, and you're not going to be able to take it with you in the end. There was a, there was a time where I, um, I was shifting between jobs, summer jobs, I should say, when I was, I taught, as I said, surfing in Malibu, and then I taught in Santa Cruz. Before I got the job in Santa Cruz, I, um, I, and I'm putting this out there just to say that sometimes the day of rest, and we're, we're making it out very nice, that there are times where the day of rest isn't the the end all and be all. And, and I love every second of it because I, I called this surf camp in North Carolina and I said, I'd love to come work at your surf camp. 
And the guy said, send me your resume. I sent him my resume. I called him back and he said, listen, um, you know, I'd really love to have you come work with us. You're very qualified. You're like overqualified for this job because I was studying to be a rabbi at the time. And he said, but I'd really like you to work at my Costa Rica camp, not at my North Carolina camp. Would that be something you'd be interested in? I was like, did you just say Costa Rica? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I, I might be interested. I think I'm interested. And he goes, great. I, I, we'd love, I'd love to have you run that camp. I just need you to get rid of the, that 25 hours that you need off. I need you to work on Saturdays. Mm. And I said, listen, I said, I don't care what it takes. I'll work at night. I'll work at you know, the earliest in the morning. I said, I just need 25 hours where I can't work. And he said, look, I'm sorry. And I didn't get the job. Jeez. And, and, and I had a friend who I was studying with at the time. And I, and I sort of lamented that story. We were in very different religious places. And I said, oh, I just can't believe that just happened. And he goes, this is God's test for you. It's such, it's such a blessing that God has given you this test. I don't want the test. I want the job, man. That's ridiculous. <laughs> <He was> like, <laughs> it's like, I've never been to Costa Rica before. I've still never been to Costa Rica. I was like, could you imagine? And, I, and so there are things, there are great sacrifices that when, when you take this sort of lifestyle on that you make. Um, yeah. Yeah. And there's only one thing, and, and this is also sort of an interesting no, the only thing that's, that trumps Shabbat really is, is saving a life. When saving a life comes into sort of, and I, and I end up having to do this sometimes. Uh, and in fact, this past uh, Shabbat, I actually had to uh, rush off and help a baby that I had done uh, the circumcision for on Friday. Mm-hmm. And I had to rush off and go help him. And, and I have, and, and unlike my other Shabbat, you know, Shabbat, different times when I'm doing Shabbat, I had to have my phone on me because I had done the circumcision day before. And we're very like, that's a thing where there's sort of a demarcation line that it, cause it says that you, that you're supposed to live by our laws, not but die by our laws. And so you don't have to keep Shabbat if it's going to cause you to die. Yeah. Well, I love that you, um, you know, you kind of saw that, that job offer um, as a test. And I mean, you chose the more, uh, fulfilling the more the healthier you know way to live you know and and although that that gets back to what we were saying about you know sometimes it feels oppressive it feels like you're making a sacrifice but it depends on what you're valuing you know are you valuing your deeper health and long term well being and the God that you know has created and sustained you or are you valuing you know getting things done getting more money uh, you yeah. know whatever whatever dreams you have. That's excellent. Well, let's, this is a good spot to wrap up. And I think um, hopefully everybody got a sense of the importance of Sabbath and taking a long-term intentional break from the busyness and chaos of work and whatever else is going on in your life. Uh, we want to encourage you to take that, you know, that full break and decide what's going to fulfill you during that time and get that refueling that God wants of you and that you and your body really need on a deeper level. Uh, because that, remember, the, the life you save may be your own. And only you can prevent forest fires. Yes. I was hoping that's where you were going to go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Good to see you again, right, Jamie. We'll see you guys really next week. Bye.